Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Leicester City, Alistair Bruce Ball. Disaster for Leicester, they've been caught on the counter. Gareth Bale has come off the bench and scored for Tottenham. And it's a goal that means that Leicester are going to miss out on Champions League football. It's of course a big relief, we could not win. Also we had uh, enough chances, half chances and the performance was excellent. But we could not win, we're clearly unlucky again and uh, happy that Tottenham finished the job for us. This is Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, we look back on Chelsea's qualification for next season's Champions League as the Blues stumbled to a fourth place finish despite losing at Aston Villa. Available for free wherever you get your podcast and ad free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Hello, listener. Hope you're well. Matt Davis Adams doing the talking at this precise moment. Though allow me to introduce three men far better placed than I to do so. They are the Athletics Chelsea experts. Simon Johnson is here. Good morning. I've just thawed out from the coldest <laughs> final Premier League game of the season I've ever covered. Good morning. Yeah, it, in this season of all season, it feels like it was fitting that it was grey, drizzly, cold on the last day rather than, than bright sunshine. But yeah, we move on. Uh, Liam Toomey is also with us. Hi, Liam. Get this league season in the bin and move on. Yeah. yeah. Hello. So, so all of us. Uh, Dominic Fifield's also with us. How are you doing, Dom? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. Uh, there is only one thing on our agenda today, so let's get to Villa Park. 
I don't know about you, listener. I've always had a lot of respect for Gareth Bale. Racing into the penalty area. He's going to finish it off the post. Back it comes to the Welshman. And he turns it in. He scored twice off the bench to ruin Leicester's hopes of Champions League football and hand Champions League qualification to Chelsea. Here's Tom asking, is Spurs winning to give Chelsea a place in the Champions League the most Spursy thing possible? Uh, is it Spurs making sure Harry Kane gets to play in the Champions League next season? Simon, there's been a bit of chatter about Harry Kane to Chelsea, but you've shot that down in your piece for The Athletic this morning. Yeah, I just think it's very, very unlikely. And, and to be honest, anyone that's followed um, the Chelsea-Tottenham relationship in the Abramovich era uh, would have instantly seen it like that as soon as Kane was linked with Chelsea uh, there's there's probably one club that Daniel Levy will do more than anything to ensure that he doesn't go to and that and that's Chelsea you, you only have to look back to Luka Modric in 2011 where Modric was banging the door down to try and get to Chelsea but but Levy did everything including ended up making a less money uh, when he sold him to Real Madrid a year later that that's how the needle between these two clubs Extends. In fact, I can't really remember. I think Carlo Cudicini was the last to move between the clubs. I may be wrong, but yeah, that it's Chelsea would obviously love Harry Kane. That's why Tuchel said as much. It wasn't really revealing anything extraordinary. He was saying that any coach would want him, and that's that's clear. But yeah, I also think Harry Kane has got his eyes on a club in the northwest which um unfortunately Chelsea will be playing on on Saturday but i just found going back to the game itself it it did sort of highlight and this is what i did the piece on it it was just staring in the face yet again the lack of threat the lack of presence in the penalty area i mean it's a remarkable achievement i think people should sort of not forget this it's a remarkable achievement that chelsea finished in the top 4 when the highest goal scorer scored 7 goals the lowest in Chelsea's Premier League history. I mean, it, it's it's phenomenal. It's the lowest in in their history. Full stop, isn't it? In a non relegation season, what doing apparently they've never they've never had a worse situation than this in their entire history, other than when they've been relegated. Yeah, record breakers. It's pretty incredible stuff. We will get onto the nuts and bolts of the Villa game shortly, but I'm just wondering, Dom, having having read Simon's piece this morning, um, in which he also says that Haaland's out the question now. Dortmund have got in the Champions League. Uh, Danny Ings might be available. He might be a good signing for for Chelsea, might he not? Yeah, he might be because he's an instinctive finisher. It really depends what market they're in. I mean, I'm I know <laughs> and there's, there's, there's a certain hypocrisy here because we, we love a big transfer story, don't we? But I, I'd quite admire it if Chelsea went out and made a shrewd signing that didn't cost the bank, didn't cost the earth and, and basically filled the hole. It was almost, a, almost like a stopgap to allow a Werner to carry on developing, to allow a Havertz to carry on developing. And, and Lings would fit that bill. I don't think he's going to be a long-term solution. He would be a couple of years you get out of him and he'd probably be quite prolific in those in those seasons because Chelsea do create chances um but I mean they don't have to limit it to Ings there'll be other opportunities like that other players like that and you know and there will be people out there arguing that actually Chelsea have a have a player on their books already that that has scored goals pretty consistently over his his career and have given more of an opportunity than Tammy Abraham might actually prove himself to be more of the answer than 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 Tuchel clearly thinks, 
but we'll see. I'm, 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 I'd love it if Chelsea didn't go out and spend £150 million on one player to solve this problem and actually were shrewder and were cleverer about it because I think that would be a, a bigger statement of, um, well, you're just being just clever in the market. It's not always about your checkbook. They'd get a lot more friends that way, I think. Uh, let's get to what happened in the West Midlands yesterday then. Chelsea sneaking into the top four of the Premier League despite losing 2-1 at Aston Villa, a game in which they finished with 10 men after the dismissal of Cesar Azpilicueta late on. That after former blue Bertrand Traore and an Anwar El Ghazi penalty put Villa 2-0 in front before Ben Chilwell reduced the arrears. Um, Liam, what do you like on, on your ice creams? Because raspberry sauce seems a, a very strange decision to me. Especially in eight degrees Birmingham, Birmingham summer. Um, yeah, this is referring to a story that was originally reported in the Mail, the Daily Mail on Sunday, uh, Mike Keegan, and um, I've subsequently had confirmed that Chelsea were, or Chelsea filed a complaint to the Premier League ahead of kickoff and also requested a delay to kickoff, um, which was denied because the team bus, or they claimed the team bus, was delayed on its arrival into Villa Park by stewards who originally said they didn't have the permission from the head of security to enter the ground, um, which seems a bit strange that one of the football teams playing in a football match wouldn't have that permission, uh, and then had to sit in the bus and watch as two stewards ate ice creams <laughs> behind the security gate, which seems to be, you know, absolutely classic final day banter. And I, to be honest, my personal opinion, it's pretty ridiculous for Chelsea to complain about that. It's... Uh, especially in light of going on to play as they did and lose the game as they did. You're just going to have to deal with stuff like this, I'm afraid. Uh, and uh, you Imagine what they would have done in the old days, like rocking up at Plough Lane with uh, Vinnie Jones and John Fashion in their ghetto blasters and, and you know the cold, <laughs> cold waters in the showers and rubbish all over the changing room floors. I mean, the outrage they would have felt. <laughs> it's a bit precious, isn't it? Um <laughs> And yeah, I don't think you can have any complaints when you go on to lose the game the way Chelsea did, to be honest. They just didn't play well enough um, and they certainly didn't finish well enough to win the game. I, I would just love to have spoken to those guys <laughs> and gone, what on earth? The last thing I was craving, I don't know about you, Matt, because <laughs> you were there, the last thing I was <laughs> craving was an ice cream. It was freezing. It's at, and it was oh, it was miserable. I mean, yeah, I, I'm baffled. I finished the game baffled. wearing my snood, which was uh, yeah, which was weird. I've got to say, I was told that I wasn't allowed into the ground as well. So clearly, there was some anti-Chelsea bias <laughs> from the people at Villa yesterday. But I strong armed my way in anyway. Uh, so Simon, as we say, you and I were there. Have you got a theory as to why there's been such wild swings in in the quality of performance of late? You know, for every. Leicester in the league, there's a Villa for every Man City away, there's an Arsenal at home. That that consistency, which was the trademark of the early Tuchel game, seems to seems to have disappeared in the last few weeks. Yeah, I, I suppose one of the factors is is the schedule. The the you know, I think fatigue, they're only human. They've been basically playing sort of midweek, weekend, midweek, weekend, under intense pressure, you know, every game being a must win for four months essentially. But that's still a bit of an excuse. Um I think, as as I said at the start of the show, I think that that game exposed Chelsea's main flaw, which is them in the final third. We've been talking about it on the pod for 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 months, uh, for years. It seems actually, <laughs> um, because I actually watched the game back 
how sad am I? But when I got back from Birmingham, just to sort of sort of then watch it from the you know without the drama, and it, let's be honest, it was it was fantastic drama being there. I mean, we didn't have a screen in front of us with all the the permutations clarified. So like the journalist going, uh, so. <laughs> where, where, where Chelsea, uh, goal difference, uh, oh, uh, <laughs> you could just hear, you know, all the guys sort of trying to figure out where, 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 where Chelsea stood and, uh, and then you're getting the score flashes. It was a classic final day, but, but watching the game back, Chelsea weren't awful. You know, they had most of the game. Villa had essentially two chances and scored both of them. And Chelsea, uh, as per usual, got into lots of good positions and didn't make the most of it. The question is, on everyone's lips, is can they flip it round, the fine margins, can they be clinical at one end and very, very uh, strong at the back in, in the game that matters on Saturday? But at least they're going into that without the pressure of um, Champions League qualification on their minds. You can't have any confidence, can you, that they're going to take those chances when they come along in Porto? Because we've we've now we've got a season's evidence for the, for them to spend. You know, I know that two hundred twenty million pounds covered Ben Chilwell, Edward Mendy as well, but the bulk of it was on attack-minded signings to score eleven fewer goals in the Premier League than last season. There's no bigger disappointment in the league, I think, than Chelsea's attack, and that goes back, I think. It goes back to Lampard as well as Tuchel. I think it's been a, a bigger issue, regardless of what system they've been playing or tactics they've been playing. The execution in the final third, obviously the finishing's been poor, but there have been times where they haven't even got a shot off because the final pass has been terrible or the wrong decision has been made. And it it doesn't seem to have improved with, with training and with, you you would think, you know, sort of increased chemistry over time, just naturally building. And I think that that's the worrying thing for Chelsea. Um, is that the, these combinations, regardless of who Tuchel picks, these combinations don't seem to get more cohesive and more clinical with, with time. And you're not going to get, you know, Manchester City are not going to be forgiving in those situations. I enjoyed this tweet from Grace Robertson yesterday. Uh, she was, quote, tweeting Sky Sports News saying Edward Mendy replaced at half-time of Chelsea's Premier League defeat against Aston Villa. <laughs> Grace said, Kepper makes most ever saves in Champions League final and Timo Werner scores his one chance on the break to win the thing. The narrative demands it. Uh, it's a nice idea. I can't see it happening. Um, Dom, I can't see on the Zoom whether you've got your soapbox with you, but, but there's an opportunity for you to get on it and bang the drum of Olivier Giroud here, I think. I was amazed that he didn't get any action yesterday, given that he always scores against Aston Villa. And we saw time after time Chelsea putting in crosses and, and there was nobody running across the near post to turn them in, which is what Giroud's made a career up yeah but that's that's the way that Tuchel's has has gone um Giroud represents the recent past and not the future of of Chelsea Football Club I mean Havertz playing as a as a nine for now when he came on or, or whatever combination you've got up up top whether that's Werner leading leading the line or or you know or false nines or whatever you want it's it's not it's not Olivier Giroud clearly in in Tuchel's head and 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 to be honest he's had so few opportunities really in in recent weeks and months um that it, it might be even unfair to expect him to have had such an immediate impact if he if he had been brought on or you know if he is flung on in in Porto then 
do we is he why why would he hit the ground running really i mean he is he is rusty i think i think it's more almost more worrying for for france and that may be one reason why Karim benzema suddenly returned to the french squad as a as an option for for didier deschamps it's it's it is strange how it's gone but you know managers have their favorites and and all in all, I know we're sitting here saying that Chelsea don't score enough goals and they're, they're not ruthless enough, but they have reached a Champions League final and they were sort of in danger of ending in, or of languishing in mid-table, upper mid-table, albeit, um, when Tuchel came in and he has finished them in the top four again. So he is doing something right. He's doing plenty right. And I suppose he's probably earned the trust of the supporters to to make the right decisions in in Porto to give them a chance of winning. Yeah, me and Don are going to play tag team here. Um, I'm going to piggyback his positivity because <laughs> I was I was I was really surprised when, um, of course, we we always host a, a Q and A when we cover a game. I was really surprised at the level of negativity on the message board there. Loads of Chelsea fans of uh, and readers really sort of down on the team, down on their chances of winning the Champions League final. I, I was sort of trying to sort of say, you know, this is fantastic. You know, like obviously disappointing about the game and they have lost three of the last four. But go back to January, you know, where when Chelsea were in a bit of a mess, like if if we'd if we'd said in the pod back then, oh Chelsea get the Champions League final, qualify for the Champions League and and lose a an FA Cup final narrowly, you would have thought we were all bonkers and, and need to give up the day job. Um, I, I just think, I just think, you know, yes, they've had to do it through the back door, rely on an arrival to do them a favour. Very bizarre. You sort of think Tottenham would have tried to avenge 2012. But no, I just, I just think, yes, there are problems. Everyone knows there are problems, but Chelsea are now in a position where they've qualified for the Champions League. That means extra funds, in the transfer market, that means you've got the the gravitas to to lure players to the club even more than 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 normal. You know, obviously players are interested in Chelsea anyway, but the bet the higher caliber players will you know they will want to play for Tuchel. They want to play for a, a team that's in the Champions League final. So, on. so Chelsea aren't the finished article, but we all knew that. But they've now put themselves in a position where they can get closer to being the finished article with another transfer window behind them. Uh, Liam, late last week you wrote a piece for The Athletic, athletic.com slash Chelsea Pod, the place to go to sign up, talking about the importance of qualifying for Champions League in terms of the funding uh, that would therefore follow. Here's a, a tweet from Ayabami, apologies if I've got your name wrong, uh, asking, with all our weaknesses exposed on Sunday, do you think the board will back Tuchel in the transfer window? It's, I guess two parts to that. A, how much money is he going to get? And B, is it going to be based on players that he recommends or, or players that are recommended to him? I don't think it's ever as simple at Chelsea as saying, will this manager be backed? Because the coach, not the manager, the coach, only ever has a voice in recruitment. They don't necessarily have the final say. Um, and what we've seen over the years is that Every coach will, will maybe get one or two players that they like uh, and the rest will be sort of club agreed or club driven targets. The information that we've got so far, it will probably you know crystallise in the coming days and weeks now that Chelsea is secure in the Champions League and they can really begin to finalise their plans for the summer is that both the club and, and Tuchel are keen on, a, on getting a striker. 
and that a centre-back is a priority as well. Though, of course, they have plenty of contract decisions to make on that front as well within the current squad. So it it won't be a case of Tuchel driving targets or going to Chelsea and saying, I want this player, I want that player. He He may well provide recommendations, but then it will be a conversation between him and the recruitment structure and the, the key transfer decision makers at the club um, as to which targets are feasible, which targets might fit the team. And then it will kind of be decisions made by committee um, as it often is at Chelsea. And I think the best, the best that supporters can hope for is that everyone is singing off the same hymn sheet because when they're not, we, we've seen where that, that road leads in the past. Yeah, you end up with David A. Zappacosta. Um, Dom, just from what Liam was saying there, centre-back seems like a, a strange one to me. There's a, a young English lad at AC Milan who seems to have had quite a good second half of the season. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's. I think that there might be other areas of the team that they, they, they could prioritise. Um, um, I'd love to see Tamori back in and doing doing well at Chelsea and hopefully he... Hopefully his performances at AC Milan have been noted and and AC Milan decide not to trigger the clause. But I suppose I suppose with the centre halves, you are looking more long longer term. You're looking at what happens when Thiago Silva leaves. Um he's in the, the twilight of a glittering career. Um they've got contractual issues, I suppose, to sort out with people like Rudiger. You know, do, do they see the long term future with Christensen? Um, there are lots of, I mean, Zuma as well is another one. There, there are lots of issues there, and and if they wanted to, I can, I can see why they they might want to go out and and buy a buy a player on that front. But again, it goes back to my original argument. It would be nice if they didn't. It would be nice if they trusted a Tomori to come through and and to to live up to the potential he's always had, and was threatening to show at, at periods at the beginning of last season before he sort of became the forgotten man. Um, we'll have to see. I think they'll. I think they'll. I think they will flex their muscles in the in the, in the market because that's what Chelsea do. And I suspect there'll be some surprise moves in there as well that people we don't anticipate being edged out. I mean, you've got you've got to start thinking, for example, about life after Cesar Azpilicueta as well. You've got to you've got to wonder whether that means strengthening on the right, strengthening at right sided centre back in a three. You know, there are lots of different issues for them to to address. And it's just about prioritising what, um, where the, the, the principal areas of the team that need strengthening are. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and I'm here to tell you what The Athletic has planned across its podcast network during the Euros. My pod with David Ornstein will become The Athletic's England show throughout the tournament. 
to bring you all the latest news and insight from inside the England camp every single day. Then we'll also have nightly editions of the Totally Football Show, taking a look at all the big talking points from the competition and looking ahead to the next day's fixtures. Now, if you're feeling nostalgic for tournaments past, we've produced an eight-part documentary series that tells some fascinating stories from both on and off the pitch from the last eight Euros. Elsewhere, Michael Cox's Zonal Marking Pod will offer an in-depth tactical breakdown of all the biggest games, while Adam Hurry's Football Cliché Show will take a look at the tournament's alternative storylines. So, as this never-ending domestic season finally draws to a close, we'll have plenty of Euro 2020 coverage for you to enjoy as the tournament gets underway in just a couple of weeks' time. Anything else anyone wanted to mention from Villa? Yeah, Bertrand Traore refusing to celebrate a goal against the team he started four games for and inadvertently led to a transfer ban for <laughs> was, was quite a surreal moment for me. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what, what, more, what more damage can one man try and do to a club? <laughs> I was sitting there going, not only has he got them a transfer ban, he's trying to knock them out of the Champions League as well. Disgrace. No, it was also it was also quite interesting. Um, yeah, I suppose perhaps stuff that wasn't picked up on on camera. Uh, the dynamics with John Terry, you know, obviously the strong Chelsea connection, but even seeing like Thiago Silva. So there's a whole bunch of John Terry sort of greeted the subs as they as they sort of came out on the pitch. But Thiago Silva made a point of running all the way over to hug him and and clearly sort of show respect. I thought that was a nice touch and. I don't want to sort of start any transfer speculation. It's probably the weakest transfer speculation uh, I could do, but I just found it very interesting the relationship between John Terry and Kurt Zuma. That they, they, they had a chat beforehand, but a very lengthy one afterwards. I don't know whether John was going, "Oh, come to Villa, mate. You're, you're, come to Villa, you'll, you'll be sorted for next season. We'll, we'll give you game time." The other one was how how poor is Chelsea's central midfield without N'Golo Conte in it? Sorry, that's a very um, good point. I mean, Very good point. It just, I think it's amazing that they ended. They ended with Reese James in the middle. Yeah, alongside who was the other one? Because it wasn't both both Kovacic and Jorginho had gone off, hadn't they? Yeah, it's a very good point. I can't remember. It, it so was ra- essentially was... it was essentially Reese James, and then everybody yeah. else was up front, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was really kind of so. Let's just throw everything Mal- out. Yeah, exactly. I mean that's. I mean that's actually worrying ahead of the weekend as well. I, I, he'll probably end up going with with Conte and Jorginho, I imagine. Kovacic slightly off the pace after his injury layoff. But if we're talking about areas of the team that need sprucing up or or or, or an overhaul, that that is such a flat midfield when it when it doesn't work. I mean there have been occasions where Jorginho and Kovacic have clicked this season, but when it doesn't work, it's it's so anemic. That's Dom linking Chelsea with Declan Rice again then. So thanks for a, a whole nother summer of that, Dom. Very good. <laughs> um, the, we, we're going to do a proper Champions League final preview later in the week. Uh, Liam, before before we finish this though, I, I just wonder, did anybody play themselves out of the starting lineup for Saturday night in Sunday's game? I'm, I'm loading that question by, by wondering if Christian Pulisic might come into that category. Yeah, he was the one that came into my mind as well. Um, 
just purely because of where he stood in Tuchel's thinking since January. Um, you have to think that when he gets opportunities like the one against Aston Villa, he has to take them, um, perhaps even more than other players who also played poorly at Villa Park. And that isn't necessarily fair. It's just a reflection of of the way Tuchel thinks about this team. And Pulisic was ineffective for most of the game. I know he ended up putting in the cross for Chilwell's goal. Um, he was better in the second half, but um, a lot of what he tried didn't come off. And that's that's probably not, not the performance he needed to give Tuchel the, the most difficult decision possible heading to Porto. Second season syndrome might be a bit harsh, I think, for, for Pulisic because he got that really bad injury, didn't he, in the FA Cup final last season, which obviously hampered him. But but it's a big third season dump for him, I feel. I know he's still only a young player, but he came in for a lot of money and it's a an area of the pitch where Chelsea do have a lot of competition. Yeah, it is. You're right. It's spot on. I mean, part of me wants to, as I'm sure we all sort of feel, a lot of this season has been so instantly forgettable. Um, largely because of the behind closed doors nature of it all, but you want to give people more of a chance. So you want to you want to see what he's like in front of a full Stamford Bridge or or um, with a full pre season, proper pre season again behind him. And but yeah, look, it must have been a very alien season for him in particular. Um, we go back to the whole living in a foreign country, living away from your family, isolation, all that business. Um, no escape at all. Hopefully next season is a bit more normal and we see a bit more of, of the player that we saw at times in his first season at the club um, without the niggling injuries and, and able to get the focus and, and form right. There's clearly something there. There's clearly a lot of quality there. It just needs to be just needs to be forged into some kind of consistency and, 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 and you know, let's let's have a consistent run of games and performances behind him. But but I agree with you. I think I think I think particularly given that how Ziyech looked when he came on um, with that little flash of a bit of skill that, that almost prompted a goal for Chilwell at the back post, I, I wonder whether whether Ziyech now becomes more of an option against City at the weekend than, than Pulisic and Pulisic resort, reverts back to that sort of super sub, um, which which he won't enjoy, but that may be, that may be what awaits him in Porto. At risk of reverting to type... I thought Havertz looked pretty good <laughs> when he came on. Are you um, talking about his football or just his general demeanour? <laughs> oh, he, I mean, he always looks magnificent. But I, th- I thought um, I thought he made Chelsea's attack tick a little bit better, um, and things move a little bit more fluid with his with his movement. He he had a guilt edge miss, which is par for the course, it seems, among Chelsea forwards. Um, but I thought his all round play took Chelsea's attack generally up a notch and enabled them to ramp up the pressure on Villa in that second half. Not that it it helped them save the game, but I, th- I thought it did at least put um, a question in Tuchel's mind about him. Uh, so that's the straight out of Cobham bingo completed. We should just uh, put a bow around the Chelsea FC 2020-21 season bingo by reminding everybody that Timo Werner had a goal ruled out for offside in this match. Uh, so that's the end of the, the Premier League season. A weird way to end it, but but I think if you told, as Simon said, told Chelsea supporters they finished in the top four when Thomas Tuchel arrived with the team having won two of their last eight league games and sitting ninth in the table, we would all have taken that. Uh, a slightly abridged pod this 
this week then. We should note though that the women finished their season with a win against Everton in the FA Cup fifth round. That tie was played last week. Saw the Blues 3-0 victors thanks to goals from Guro Wright and Sam Kerr and Drew Spence. Draw for the quarterfinals is on Friday of this week. That's the 28th of May. Quarterfinals played at the end of September as this season's competition carries over into next because COVID. Uh, that'll just about do it for today. We will be back with another bonus show later in the week when we'll preview the Champions League final against Manchester City. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have got in store for Athletic subscribers. Liam, you can go first this week. Yes, I'm working on a piece um, which hopefully our American audience should particularly um, enjoy, which is about the finals that Christian Pulisic has played in his career. Um, going all the way back to his youth career in in the US with the with the men's national team, we're talking to people who were involved in those different games uh, all the way up to the FA Cup finals uh, recently. So, um, yeah, hope hopefully people enjoy that one. I'm also writing a piece with um, one of our analytics gurus, Mark Carey, looking at how N'Golo Kante's impact has changed under Tuchel um, from Lampard, how the positioning has changed and just how, how his overall um, contribution has, has evolved. And I'm also, I, I also won the coin toss to go to Porto. Um, so I'll be reporting from the game. Ice cream? <laughs> Had to stick the boot in, didn't you? <laughs> That's a two-footed tackle. Red card. Like you're in the coin toss. Yeah. <laughs> yes. If it makes you feel any better, Si, I, I lost the Chelsea TV coin toss for that one. Oh, did well. you? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, me and you can commiserate together. We've mentioned, Simon, your piece on, on what Chelsea could do with a prolific striker. What else have you been working on? Um, how to get over losing a coin toss. Uh... <laughs> with a 99 with plenty of raspberry sauce on it, I would recommend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been calling people, yeah, even cricket captains, you know... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, we are the three of us. Dom, Dom is joining the party. Um, we, we're going to be discussing the Champions League final uh, for a, for a piece. Me, me and Lim obviously combined for sort of pre-match chats before we did one uh, ahead of the cup final. We're going to do another one with all three of us for the Champions League. Um, and I'm doing a piece on the uh, interim managers that have got... And, and the interim seasons that have ended up in the Champions League final. That will be coming up uh, later this week. Uh, Dom, I see you penned a, a love letter to, to Roy Hodgson. What else is on your agenda for this week? Um, yeah, I had a nice, I had a nice Zoom with, with Roy. He told me at one point that he had to, he had to do it, get it out of the way quickly because he had an important Zoom call coming up. And it appears that may have been the government calling, asking him to join that fans charter. <laughs> Uh, probably missed the story there, Dom. Never mind. Um, uh, what am I doing? I'm doing a piece on all England or English Champions League finals. Um, so a look back at 2008 and 2019, um, and the the sort of you know how how different it, it is if you're competing against a team that you played twice in the league already that season compared to the sort of mystique of the normal European final experience. Excellent. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you want to read those and more from our chaps. As I say, we will be back on Thursday with our special Champions League preview pod. Until then, many thanks to Liam, to Simon, to Dom and to producer Lucy, but mainly to you, listener. We'll catch up with you again later in the week. But from all of us here, it's bye for now. Thank you. 
The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.